Welcome to Marketing Mindshare, the podcast that brings you into the world of the top marketing minds from Fortune 500 companies to scrappy, small and medium-sized business marketers. Together, we'll explore the leading strategies today's marketing leaders deploy. I'm your host, Dean DiCarlo, and now let me take you into the Marketing Mindshare. Dan Larkman, I'd like to welcome you to the Marketing Mindshare. Uh, Dan Larkman is the CEO and founder of Keens Digital. And uh, recently, me and Dan have been talking. Uh, definitely love your analytical mind. It's, it's very similar to mine. So, Dan, happy to have you on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the, 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 the time and, and, and the conversation we have. Absolutely. So, you are a guy that comes from the programmatic world, right? Yep, Indeed. Tell, tell me a Basically little born about, and bred programmatic. Okay, yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about that experience. I think programmatic's been interesting over the years. Uh, I started out in an ad work back in the day when there were ad works. Uh, and I remember Abnexus, now Xander, uh, being the programmatic, you know, the, the front runner. Uh, and I remember being the, the ones at Iconium testing that out. So uh, it's been very interesting. But I, I have to say what, what's happened with programmatic over the last five years has shifted the industry. And I think in a really positive direction. That's amazing. Um, so now what you're, the work that you're doing in Keynes Digital, it's almost exclusively focused on CTV, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the full full uh, it's the full spectrum on programmatic. So we do do uh, display display retargeting, display prospecting, some programmatic audio. Um, but you know, connected TV right now is is the the needle moving medium. And so for us, it's a case of that's why we focus so heavily on connected TV. So what is CTV? And and to your point, like why is it moving the needle for brands? So uh, for me. Connected TV is defined differently by many people. And I think that's where we're still a little fragmented in the industry on it. Um, the definition of connected TV is the actual TV screen, right? A, digit- a digital or a Wi-Fi connected TV screen. Um, you know, you can use an Apple TV to be part of it, but you're watching and consuming content on the TV. Right. So like that's Kuro, connected. Peacock, mm-hmm. all, all, of the, all of the, everybody flooding into the exactly. Okay. But on a TV screen, you then you've got OTT, which is all devices, which could include that. Like and it's important, like your phone, exactly. Um, and so it's important to distinguish the difference. Uh, but for us, connected TV is full episodic players. So it is, again, like you said, like the Hulus, uh, like Handmaid's Tale. A commercial in the middle of Handmaid's Tale is connected TV if it's on the TV screen or OTT on other devices. Um, very important to distinguish that. When we think connected TV as an industry... Some people will count, um, I don't know, you know, when you're watching uh, Peacock or, or Amazon TV and you press pause and it comes up with a commercial, a little ad. Yeah. Some people will consider that Connect TV. It technically is. But when we're talking here, Connect TV, we're talking TV commercials, just like you would expect to see on your, you know, Cox Spectrum or whomever through your, through your cable subscription. Right. And why do you think CTV is better than like your traditional TV commercial ads? Because the format, it, it's the same. But there's obviously a big distinction of why marketers are starting to, to switch over to CTV programmatic buys. Um, so I think about it as uh, less on better and more on the evolution. Okay. Right? So um, I think it really depends on what you're trying to target and who you're trying to target. 
I personally think that what you're finding with connected TV is a way of reaching an audience, which you can't really do on linear. Linear has been historically Nielsen-based, which and, and is... Linear is traditional TV for everybody. Yes. Linear is traditional TV, my fault. So linear is just, you know, when, when we're thinking about, uh, you know, again, the cable subscriptions. But when you're making those buys, it's based on Nielsen ratings and it's based on a panel. And so there's a big difference. When you're thinking connected TV, especially programmatic connected TV, you're targeting an audience, right? And it's an audience first approach, which means, and I use this as an example, if I'm watching E! News on a linear, on cable subscription, then E! News is going to skew female. So I'm going to see either female targeted ads or a unisex ad. If I watch E! News on my Apple TV, they know I'm male. So I'm going to see a male ad or a unisex ad. And the big distinction there is to be able to target me rather than target 80%, maybe me. And so that's why I think, I don't think about it as better. I think about it as the evolution. I think audience targeting is a massive, massive deal when it comes to connected TV. I also think trackability. So when we think about if I target a user on a connected TV device, I can track that user with true cross-device technologies and I can track them and say, I've served this person an ad. What are their next activities online? Did they come to the advertiser site? Did they make a purchase? With linear TV, you tend to be looking at trigger points. So I served an ad at three in the afternoon. How many people came in the next five minutes to my site? Um, whereas I can actually track an individual from beginning to end, uh, which makes a, a big difference. And, and I guess... You're, you're talking about cross-device tracking too, right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the smart TV uh, mm -hmm. on the TV screen, but then I pick up the phone and you're saying I can actually track through here? Yes. So how, how, how we do it is we partner with the four leading cross-device companies. Uh, and what we'll do there is when we serve an ad and we, we, we use Trade Desk as our DSP, when we serve an ad, that information is passed to those cross-device companies and they have to come back with a 95% certainty of the other devices associated with that individual user. And therefore, we can now find you on your phone, on your PC, on your tablet, uh, on a device that you could actually make a purchase or visit that website from. Um, now, obviously, we've got the cookie lift conversations and the iOS conversations, which, which is thrown into the mix. But being able to do that makes a big difference. Um, and I would say the final thing between linear and connect TV, which is a big differentiator, is smaller brands. When we think traditional TV, we're thinking Super Bowl halftime shows. Yeah. You're thinking Coca-Cola. Um, you're thinking uh, car dealerships, insurance companies. You still get those on Connect TV, but a direct-to-consumer sports brand or a direct-to-consumer T-shirt company that's doing $5 million, $10 million in revenue isn't probably buying linear TV spots. They're probably too expensive. Yeah. Because you can test out connected TV and it can be similar as part of your marketing mix to social, to search. Um, and I think that means that you're able to then have a $10 million business bidding on the same ad spot as a Nike. And, it, and that distribution, I think, is, is what really makes connected TV stand out and why it's growing so much from an advertiser point of view. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes total sense because if you're telling me now especially with trackability, doing TV is a big gamble. You know it can pay off big, but at the same time, if you're a smaller brand, it could be a lot of your budget. But now what you're saying is not only do you get to 
choose, forget about the age and, and, you know, obviously age uh, demographics, uh, male, female, that's our basic stuff, but you can also layer just like you can in a Google uh, display ad or social ad, you can layer audience, uh, audiences, right. From like Axcom, different data partners. Exactly. So, so we can look that. at exactly you pair that with the trackability. So this actually becomes a platform now that's advantageous for people to not only to, to try because the buy-in is lower, but to actually see the results and know for certain rather mm-hmm. than take the guessing out, which TV is really, it's a lot of guessing. I mean, like you said, you have those inflection points that you could check, but that's not great for, for measuring. No, it's ex- exactly that. When I think about uh, back when I was at, at university in the UK and I, uh, I was studying marketing and I remember them explaining the trackability of TV ads and back then, I'm like 20, 21. And I was like, this is ridiculous. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and so seeing what connected TV can do makes that big difference. And again, when you're talking about smaller brands being able to compete with the Nikes, you're basically doing exactly what Facebook did, where anyone can buy those ads. Uh, and I think that really makes a big difference. Absolutely. And now that everybody's on streaming, I'd imagine the opportunity, it's just, it's probably increasing every quarter, literally, in terms mm-hmm. of the opportunity, everybody's switching over now. Um, you know, what? one thing, and this is a little off topic, do you, it's probably great for business, right? All of these streaming companies, all of these uh, cable companies now having their own um, streaming networks. Is there, does there come a time where it's just like, there's just too many streaming options, too many subscriptions. Like what's your thoughts on that? I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. That's a, a great question. It, it's, it's, if you'd asked me that six months ago, my response was, I think everyone's going to break off and they're going to get consolidated like a YouTube TV. Yeah. What, what, what Google did with YouTube TV. Um, I actually, I'm not convinced it's going to happen. I think what's, what I think what's, what's happening is you've got, You've got video on demand, and then you've got advertising um, video on demand, right? So uh, advertise supported. When we think about it, and you think about like a Peacock, I think their model is really interesting. And what's interesting is it sounds like HBO Max is about to do the same thing, where you have an ad supported version, which I think on Peacock is five bucks, something like that. And then you have, I think it's the free version, which is ad supported. I think if you want live content, it's five bucks. And if you want no ads, it's 10 bucks, right? So it's not too dissimilar to Hulu's. And I think we're going to start finding more people doing that. And yeah. I think what we're going to start realizing is, and I think it's a big topic in the industry right now with Cookulous, is people are going to start realizing that the transaction, our data is that transaction. I'm willing to not pay. I'm willing to pay $5, not 10 get some ads, but I know I'm selling my data and I've saved myself about five bucks a month. I think we're going to find more people doing that. Um, because I think that it's going to be hard to, to keep up. I think that I'm shocked that Netflix hasn't announced or thought about an ad supported and they're very firm on saying they won't do it. I'm a little shocked by that because content is being distributed and everyone's offering these ad supported and everyone's seeing the money from ad supported. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know it's off topic a little bit, but I think that what's going to happen is you're going to find more people getting these apps and you'll get the bundles like ESPN did with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus. I think you're more likely to find those bundles along the way where companies are coming together. Um, I don't think we're going to have the – I think it's going to be some time until we get the cable model again where all of them are, are under one subscription. 
Yeah. And listen, I'm actually fine with that. If I'm paying more to get bundled, I see the value in that. And then at the same time, if I don't want it, like something like Peacock, guy like me, 27, like a Peacock just does not appeal to me. <laughs> like my, my shows aren't on there. Like HBO Max, just starting to get into that. Um, Netflix, obviously, and Hulu. And even Hulu is a little bit of stretch. But the thing I like about Hulu, I actually don't mind the ad supported model. And it's not because I'm in the industry. It's just because if you're giving me the options to save the ten dollars, I'm fine with that. So I think I think it's a great thing, honestly. And and obviously for for the CTV business and for small businesses, it's it's a really great opportunity. Yeah, and I also think Hulu's nailed it with uh, almost all of their ad spots are about ninety seconds long, and I think that's perfect. I think that the problem that linear TV has had for so long is these five minute ad spots. It's long enough to leave the room, go to the bathroom, yeah. make a coffee, make a sandwich, come back, and you still got three ads left. But Hulu, you just get those three ads. And I think it, I tell you, if I'm sitting there watching Hulu and I need the bathroom and an ad spot, I have to walk fast, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that they've really done a great job at meaning that people have to engage with the ads, which is very different to linear. Um, but yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. The one thing I will say, I think they have it down with the length. What I think they need to figure out is how much they're serving within that, within that hour. I've found sometimes that um, if the settings aren't there, I get that same ad over and over again. And it might not be a Hulu problem. This might be a brand problem. Like you have to be conscious as a brand. If you're going to put a spot on Hulu, it might make sense to give them four versions because your ad will pop up pretty much every break on that. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's been my experience in my, I'm in the the New York area. Um, That's been my experience with Hulu. So that's the only thing that irks me, but I think it's more of a, as a marketer, come out with three or four spots. Yeah. I think it's also the difference between programmatic buys and direct buys. Okay. So Hulu, as an example, has different tiers. And so if you're, well, let's use Handmaid's Tale. If you're doing a direct sponsorship, they call it, of Handmaid's Tale, I can't remember the price. It's, it's in the millions. Um, I couldn't remember if it was three and a half or eight and a half. So I know it's wide, wide difference, but yeah. um, it's expensive for those sponsorship placements, right? But you're sponsoring the content. So you're saying, Handmaid's Tale, I want to buy my ad spot in Handmaid's Tale, and this is how much it's going to cost me. Um, and so I agree with you. You probably want different ads. If you work your way to a programmatic, that's one of the beauties as we see from a performance base or even a branding based model is what we're trying to do is we're able to add a frequency cap on the global level. So in today's world with TV buys, you could buy it from three different TV providers and you your ad might serve on all of them to that same user in a day, right? But with programmatic, because we get to see all of it, I can add a frequency cap that sits across all. So I just don't bid on these two if I've served it here to you. And so it means that you don't get that. Um, and also Hulu, Hulu's um, SSP or um, uh, supply side partner is um, Magnite. And they have some frequency capping on their side as well. So they have some really great technology in there that will do things like, um, you know, if they've served one car commercial, they won't serve another one in that same ad break. And so they have certain things that, that checks and balances within it. Um, so through the programmatic pipes, I don't think you're going to see your same ad multiple times, especially on Hulu. Um, direct, you probably will. And I think it's one of the criticisms that I have right now of the industry is that, you know, you'll watch one show and you may see your ad four or five times if you're a high user. Uh, um, and, and so I, and I think that's something that really needs to be addressed. That's, that's super interesting. 
Um, so you're talking, I mean, the frequency it's, it's, I love it because it's the same targeting as social and like, and my Google ads and, and doing all that. So I think it's very familiar to a lot of digital marketers, um, that are in like the traditional digital space. Mm-hmm. What goes into the management of a CTV campaign? Like, how does that work? Um, so it really depends on what type of partnership people want. So you have, you know, full service versus self-service. You have direct buys like linear TV versus programmatic buys and performance tracked. Um, and you have, you know, upfronts and programmatic. So I think it really depends on what you're looking for as an advertiser. I found that there's a lot of people that are very used to the, the Facebooks of the world, the Googles, just like you said, which are built as self-service platforms, but they're also built very easy to use. What I've noticed with things like the programmatic world is there's a lot of people trying to build things that are making life easier, but I haven't seen a silver bullet yet. And so I think that what you'll find in the programmatic space is there's a lot of really powerful tools that can be used if you know how to use them. And I, and I just want to hone on that part. It's if you're in Facebook, there's a number of levers to, to use and to pull, but a lot of them tend to be um, setting a bid cap, you know, monitoring. It's very creative heavy in Facebook. You know, you set an ad, you put your relevancy scores, that type of stuff. What I've noticed the difference being for programmatic Connect TV is you're looking at things like managing the frequency. Am I reaching enough people? Maybe my bid's not high enough and I'm reaching an average one person a day. And one TV ad probably doesn't make someone change their, their buying behavior, right? No. You probably need to be, uh, I think the last I looked at about 4.9 ads was the real sweet spot for an advertiser I was looking at yesterday. So therefore, do I need to put a really high frequency cap just to allow it to get up there? Um, I think those are the things that you're going to look at. And again, if you think about someone like the trade desk, I personally think they're by far the best DSP for connected TV with things like their weighting optimization, but there's a lot of levers to pull. And so I think that realistically, my, my thing is what levers do you have to pull? Do you have the expertise and what's your end goal? Um, and so for me, what goes into managing a campaign is everything from setting up direct relationships with networks. Right. If you go on to even the trade desk and you say, I want Connect TV, there's going to be some inventory in there that, you know, I, some of us would put a question mark next to whether we think it's TV quality. Some people would say, well, it's, it's on a TV screen, so it's TV quality. And because of that, uh, like our earlier conversation, the ambiguity, I think that what, you, what most people need is that level of expertise where you can have those direct relationships with the Hulus of the world, the Free Wills, the Magnites, the yeah, NBCUs, et cetera. And then you need those relationships with um, the cross-device companies. So you can then make sure you can track that user from beginning to end. Uh, and then the final part, which we haven't really talked about, but it's the audience providers. There's hundreds of audience providers out there. You know, my view is it's almost certain that one of them doesn't have all the audiences you need. Right, so you, you think about um, yeah, Nielsen, they have a lot of data, but do they have every data that's gonna work for me, the advertiser? Probably not, it's gonna have some do and some don't. But if you work with all of them, you can cherry pick the best of all of them for me, the advertiser. And so I think if you're setting the campaign up, that's what's in crucial. Uh, and then it's really watching and monitoring. You know, uh, where am I getting the performance? You know, again, if you think about Facebook, it's Facebook, Instagram as your publishers. 
if you think about TV, it's all of them and you have to start selecting throughout. So it's many levels of optimization uh, and it's really for us, it's machine and human. So we let the AI do a lot of the work and our job is to steer the ship and to course correct if we think it might be going in the wrong direction or, or, or finding trends that, that may, may be you know, Black Friday trends as an example, right, anomalies. Absolutely. It's, it's very similar to traditional digital, I think, um, especially if you're already in the display world. Even Facebook to agree, because now they have like WhatsApp, Instagram, the different feeds with them, they have the marketplaces. So it's starting to get longer, but it's not as long as the list, obviously, of CTV uh, providers are going to get. Yeah. Um, what about the creative? Like what makes an effective CTV ad? And like for Facebook, like I can tell you right now, like if you're a client and you're saying like, no bar on my budget, how much creative I need? I'm like, give me like 10 pieces of creative. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll go crazy. We'll, we'll, we'll do so much creative at scale. But is CTV the same? Like what, what do those rules look like? I, I don't think it's the same. I think it, so there's a few things that we look at. How much money are you spending? If you're spending $10,000 a month on CTV, run one asset nationwide, run one asset. You're not going to get to that scale of learning nationwide. And you're not going to reach that, that, uh, that point of fatigue from that ad. Um, I, my belief within programmatic is the most important variables are where am I serving? What time am I serving? How many ads have I served? And what devices am I serving on? Those are the important things. Creative is important, but I think when we're talking programmatic, I think you can, lose a, you can lose performance from having a bad creative, but I think it reaches a point, and as long as the creative is decent, shows brand equity, that's really where, you're, where, where the strength is. So um, we actually do a lot of work on working with advertisers pre-creation of the ad to help them put the most important variables. And I talk about it a lot, but there's certain variables that are really important in a direct response ad and certain ones are important in a branding ad. So when I think about a direct response unit, what am I trying to achieve as an advertiser? Now I'll say this, I joke about this, but the creative people will try and build the most beautiful ad they can build, the the most engaging ad. And it's amazing if I'm looking at it. But I have to assume that again, Hulu, 90 seconds, what are most people going to do during that 90 seconds? And the latest study was 65% of people pick up a second device during commercial breaks, right? So I have to assume 65%, the majority of people, I can't get unless I get their attention. So my rule is what makes you put your phone down and lift your head up? Right? So we had one ad and it was a baby crying at the beginning, right? I can promise you if someone's just had a kid, their head's lifting up and they're going to look. It's personalized. They're going to notice it. And I can tell you anyone who doesn't have a kid probably isn't looking up, right? But we probably shouldn't have been serving it to them anyway. Um, And so how I look at it is what makes me lift my head up and pay attention to the commercial? Does it have a strong, unique selling point that I'm left with? And some brands don't have strong, unique selling point, like um, a chewing gum commercial, right? How, How different is this chewing gum to the other chewing gums? Probably nothing, right? So they probably had to do more lifestyle. But if you are um, a shirt, is it better fitting, sweat resistant? You know, like what's your unique selling point that makes, what's the problem you're trying to solve for me, the consumer? And then the final thing is a really strong call to action. I think that from a direct response point of view, I think people are too concerned with 
tiptoeing around, showing a URL, that type of stuff. For me, I don't think we should be scared of asking people to do what we want them to do. Visit X, Y, and Z for a discount. Visit here for more information. Visit this. Like, tell me what you want me to do. And if you've already drawn my attention in, then, then, I, uh, then I'm able to do that. I think personally, I think no more than two unique selling points in any ad. I think any more than that is going to get forgotten. And the final thing I didn't touch on was a persistent URL or a logo, some way of me knowing who you are. And again, the creative-minded people will look at it and be like, this is beautiful, right? I know who you are. But for the person like me who's probably on Instagram during the ads, when I look up after the first five seconds, I want to know instantly who you are because that three-second end card, I have to remember your name really quick and write it down. Yeah. If I didn't get it, you just lost me. You just lost it. You've created intrigue. You've not got anywhere. So from a direct response point of view, I think those are crucial. And the reason I don't want to have to serve someone 10 of these to get them to change their action. I want to serve them two, three, maybe four and get them to change their action, which means I can then serve four ads to someone else and keep serving to different people rather than spending a lot on one person. Makes sense. Yeah, that, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's short, it's sweet, it's simple, but you have to think about what you're trying to get done. Is it conversion-based or is it brand-based? Mm-hmm. If it's brand-based, again, depending on the size of the company, if we go back to the chewing gum example, they're going to be lifestyle-based, like the Coca-Colas of the world. It's very like lifestyle-based. Oh, ads. Yeah, exactly. Right? The puppy monkey baby or whatever. I don't know uh-huh. what it was. That was ridiculous, that Super Bowl spot. But mm-hmm. but they just throw jokes in there and they make them yeah. fun uh, and they make them somewhat relatable, but it's lifestyle-based. But if you are, um, again, let's, let's use a, a shirt company who's trying to brand themselves. There's so many shirt companies out there. So what do you want to probably do? You want to make sure, again, your URL or logo is throughout it, even if it's branding, right? You still want to be... It, you still want to be making sure people know who you are at all points of time. Um, and, and I think that uh, there's one thing I actually didn't touch on is the professionalism. Like TV commercials should look and feel like they were designed for TV. Right? The one thing that consumers aren't aware of yet is that anyone can buy connected TV ads. That $5 million, $10 million company can buy connected TV ads. Yeah. So when they see it on there, don't lose the brand equity because you've taken a YouTube spot and you've decided to throw it on the TV screen and it looks like a, an online video ad. That doesn't build that brand equity. That professional element will make a big difference. Um, and, and I can tell you, based on the data, you can see the difference. That's why I say you could lose it. You can lose it, but with a bad ad. But I think up until a point, as long as you're hitting all the variables and it looks professional, I don't think you need to go all out with this two, three, four hundred thousand dollar ad unit. Um, I don't think you need to. I think you do a great job at the at the fifty to hundred thousand range. That's great. That's great. So even companies that are like leveraging, obviously during the pandemic, a lot of companies didn't do any production. We had some clients where they only use stock. Would they would that fly in CTV or I mean I've seen yeah. that on lower level publishers, but at CTV, if I'm showing up on Peacock, is that gonna be okay? I've seen some great stock ones. I've seen some really good stuff. Like if you actually think about all the charity ads that you've probably seen, all of those are stock videos. They tend to just be images. I think Airbnb did one. I'm not a fan of this one, but they're doing um, ones right now which are just stocked images, black and white images, and then it finishes with something about Airbnb and the Airbnb logo. You can build really professional ads with stocked videos 
and stop the images. It's just, can you put a voiceover on it that draws my attention? It's on the right. Exactly. I've seen some really great ones that do a, a half and half split where half of it clearly stopped or it's like a, a phone app and the, and the other half has some moving video in it. I, again, I, I think that professional to a point, I don't think you need to spend you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a video that's going to move the needle that much. Yeah, it, it's truly accessible then. Mm -hmm. um, so what are, we talked a little bit about the creative. Is there best practices that you can share on buying that ad space as it pertains to fitting to your audience? Is it, is it more about understanding who the audience is or is it more about selecting that data partner when it comes to CTV? Um, I'm always going to say it's trial and error. Like when I think about connected TV, just like any other programmatic or, or, or Facebook um, or Google, it's trial and error to, to work it out. Um, I'm a big fan of first-party data. So I'm a big fan of placing a pixel, getting an email list, something like that, that gives us the ability of being able to find out what your users are like, who acts like them, and are there any sweet spots that we can find, right? Um, I think programmatic in general should be looked at like that. Um, and the reason I say that is I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with brands who tell me LA, San Francisco, and New York are our best markets. And I was like, great, they are for everyone. They're also the most expensive markets to buy media in. Yeah. So it's like, is the sweet spot there or is the sweet spot, you know, um, Fort Lauderdale? Like maybe it's a little cheaper there, but actually the performance is just as good. Well, I'm getting a better ROI if I serve more in, in Fort Lauderdale. So I think about it that way. I think that, you know, I think you need to establish your goals of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and I think, I think that's really where, where it changes. So if, if you're setting up a campaign that's branding and you know that, you know, we're about to launch, um, I'll stick with the shirt analogy, we're about to launch uh, a whole new range of workout shirts, right? Uh, you might have a very specific audience you want to see that workout shirt. Whereas it's different to your business casual shirts that you were selling. Therefore, actually, the first party data is somewhat irrelevant, right? Because I'm not trying to get these people to convert. You can get those through email. My Connect TV is trying to find these new users who haven't heard of our brand before. It's gonna, that means a lot, of, a lot of information from the brand. Um, but if you're looking for direct response, well, let us let the first party data make that decision um, because it will find where the best audience is and it will find where I can buy them at the cheapest possible price to get you the highest yield, which is ultimately what advertising, especially direct response, is trying to achieve. Is it similar to lookalike audiences and social? Mm -hmm. right. yep. so it all happens algorithmically. Mm -hmm. uh, some do, some don't, right? So um, again, it's depending on what relationships you have and depending with what partners. Yeah. So we like to do a lot of stuff with people like Foursquare. So again, it, you know, if, if someone has been visiting you know, gyms in the last two weeks, maybe they're great for you know, a nutrition company, that type of thing, um, uh, as one of the data options. And we like to test that out. We also like to test out a lot of things like lookalike and different levels of lookalike, um, similar to Facebook, where you can scale it from your, was it 1%, you know, et cetera, similar type of modeling. Um, and then all the way through to um, using, uh, using the data to tell us which audiences should be custom built. So again, if we're looking at, um, say, like a, a, an athleisure shirt, then maybe we'd want to target anyone who's been to I don't know, Lululemon 
or something like that and trying to target conquesting as well. So I think it's, a, it's an approach that you look at across the board and then you start testing them. And you'll find out pretty quickly which ones are the ones that are driving the best visits to my site, which ones are driving the best conversions, which ones really just aren't working. Uh, and for me in programmatic, it's constantly trying and constantly testing. You'll find a sweet spot, but you should really still be testing maybe five, 10% of the budget on new channel, on new audiences that you may not have tested. If it works, add it to the mix. And if it doesn't, drop it out. Love it. It's systematic. It's all driven by data and, you know, they can just help you scale. Yeah. I'm that guy who loves to sit in Excel all day. So I'm, I'm the data yeah. guy. We're the same way. Like it, yeah. it's, the, the similarities, it's, 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 it's all digital. I mean, that, that's really what it is. It's, this is digital marketing at its core, except mm-hmm. now it's on the big screen. Exactly. I, I, I tell people not to think about it as anything different than, you know, I think table stakes for any advertiser is Facebook, Google, and I would say retargeting. I think those are table stakes. I would add a fourth in there that I think that anyone who's not running Connect TV, and I, I'm going to say this as a caveat, this is not pitching Keens. I'd love you to work with Keynes, but it's not pitching Keynes. It's any Connect TV company. Anyone who's not running Connect TV is missing an opportunity. Yeah. Like I've, I've worked in many of these fields uh, from you know, the ad network, uh, ad network days back in the day all the way through to video, FMPs, et cetera. Uh, and I want to say I, I personally believe and the data showing me the biggest needle mover so far that I've worked on has been the Connect TV ads. That's amazing. The bold statement too. It, it's a bold statement, but I would I would back it up with data. Like I'm I'm, I'm a big believer in this, and, and that's the best part about our jobs is that we, we can go in and we can back mm-hmm. it up. Exactly. You know that that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. What are some of the uh, challenges you feel like facing TV uh, CTV right now? Um, I think the ones that are facing CTV are creative uh, attribution, and I would have said cookieless until Google's announcement yesterday. Um, to push that back. back two years right exactly so i don't i think i don't think that's the uh the most pressing and i think what um trade disc are doing with unified id 2.0 or the iab whoever you want to say you think it's um, time the two years do you think they're going to get it done or do you think we're because i you know i talked about i think the ios 14 stuff was like a bombshell i, I still mm-hmm. look at it and i'm just like i can't believe they did not try to figure out a solution together um uh, do I think it's long enough? Um, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to bet on the trade desk doing it. I know that Jeff Green at the trade desk has been pushing this really hard. Um, and unless they take their foot off the gas, I think if they expect that they have to get this done, I think it's going to happen. Um, I just think that this gives, yeah, my, my belief is this gives more room for people like the trade desk to come to the table with Google rather than as a com- combat to the flock um, uh, proposal from Google. I think rather than that, maybe there's a, a, uh, a solution that can be combined rather than separate. And I think that ultimately helps everyone. Yeah. I think the open web, again, I think that the, the industry hasn't yet done a good enough job at promoting and showing the general public that there is a transaction of data that I'm okay giving away my data because I'm getting free stuff in return of it, right? It's, it's so similar to linear TV, it's so similar to, to, to the models we've had. And I think that that's the part where we'll be, we'll be needle moving. Um, 
but yeah, when you talk about iOS 14, you're going to see a massive impact to social. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not shocked Apple did it. I think all the data showed them that, you know, the iPhone um, was selling more on privacy and privacy was really important. So it makes sense for them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I could I can imagine media companies uh, wincing a little bit and then Google announcing it made us all wince a little bit more. So uh, I think this is good news. <laughs> as long as it, for me, as long as there's a solution in place. Like that's, that's my biggest thing. What, what do we have so that we can be ready for it? Maybe not get taken by such surprise. And Doug, you know, there's been ramp up, like we've known about this since like September, I've been writing about iOS 14, mm-hmm. but I just don't feel still that the solution in place has been the best. The transition has been the easiest and maybe, and maybe that's just how it is. Right. Which is fine. Then that's what it is. But I would definitely like to see something a little bit more fleshed out, a little bit more reassuring. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, I, I mean, you're talking about businesses. It's not just money. It's it's the investment. It's people's jobs. It's it means it means a lot to people, especially small businesses that five to ten million dollar range, which is the majority of our clients. Exactly. I think that I think that what's forgotten a lot of the times is the solutions that are put in place to um, impact the you know the top companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Apples. There's regulations and stuff put in place that's meant to. Uh, put more rules for them and the trickle down effect is the smaller companies get hurt when we think again about those small five ten million dollar t-shirt companies facebook is their is their bread and butter um, and by not being able to track as much on ios i think those are the people that get mainly hurt um, and i think that's why again that's why i think that something like connect tv is such a needle mover because it does get through that social mess uh, and, and it gives the ability to look in elsewhere. Couldn't have said it better, Dan. What does the uh, future of CTV hold? So um, I think it's, you know, when we touched on the challenges a little bit, but I think the future really looks at, um, again, I talk about attribution to creative. I talk about cord cutters increasing. Um, so if we were looking at this, I think that attribution and creative are the two things that usually follow. When a new channel comes up, then the next thing that come, really comes forward through. When I talk to brands, the biggest holdup for almost everyone is I don't have a video asset ready to go. Or I have a YouTube asset or I have a six-second Facebook asset. They don't have that 30-second commercial. And so it's a case of we're happy to work with people on giving them advice. We've got some one-pages on how, uh, you know best practices. But that tends to be the biggest holdup. And it also tends to be expensive. Right? Yeah. Even the even the low price ones, you know, if you're planning on testing a new channel, you might be looking at, you know, uh, here I've got ten thousand, twenty thousand to test a new channel, but I have to spend twenty thousand, thirty thousand on building the unit. So now it's fifty thousand to test Connect TV, right? And so um, I think that's the biggest hurdle. And I think that what we're going to see is either the stock videos. There's a number of really good companies, and we've got a number of um, uh, yeah, preferred partners on our side that do creative. I think that an automated creative platform is going to be a big step forward from beginning to end. So I'm not just talking about like there's, there's some of the ones that we've used where you can add logos on and that type of stuff. I'm talking about the full production being sped up and cheaper. I think, I think that's something that's probably next. Um, and then I think attribution as well. I think that, um, I think that if you look through our industry, it starts with a product or a channel or medium, and then an attribution channel, uh, 
platform pops up. Right? And then it happens again, another one, again, another one. And I think that Facebook have done a really interesting thing with not really giving you the ability of tracking through third parties. And it do a little bit, but not really, um, like not providing order IDs and that type of stuff. And so it's kind of like a trust me, Facebook works. And I think that that's what the future of Connect TV is away from that. Because the beauty of programmatic is it's not trust me, it's trust the data. And don't trust my data, trust the third party data. And I think that that's where it really moves to. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Facebook model because I think that if you have your own data like Facebook, you, it's your data. So you have the ability, I'm not saying Facebook does this, you have the ability of making it look as good or as bad as you want. And I'm not saying you change the data. They did do that though. I, I remember they got, they got in trouble for it. Right. But you have an incentive to make yourself look better if you're in control of all the data, which is why for me, it's all about independent data. It's all about you know, data. Unless data is clean, your decision off the back of it is not going to be the strongest decision. It's going to be the smartest decision in your head. Doesn't mean it's the best decision to make. Uh, and so for me, I think that attribution creative are going to be two really big metrics that get pulled in. Um, I think that you know we've we've relied in our industry too long on certain um, certain variables like Google Analytics, right? For last click, uh, and that's why I think audio hasn't picked up as much as it should have. It's a great medium, um, and so I think all of those type of things will make the big difference. And uh, and I guess um, I guess I see more companies being acquired in the Connect TV space. If you're looking at the multiples that you've got like Magnites on, you look at the multiples of the trade desk, I think it's going to be a lot more movement. You know, MGM was just bought by um, Amazon. I just see this continuing to happen. Um, and I think that, you know, with uh, 5G devices, you get more content on more, on more devices. And yes, yeah, so I think we'll go from there. I just said the fire alarm stopped going off. I apologize. That's all right. All right. It happens. And if we got to wrap it, we can. Uh, we'll, we'll do some editing here, so don't worry. It's going off. Great timing. Give me one second. You got it. Going off. Oh, no. no. <laughs> um, let's give it like two minutes. It usually stops. That's completely fine with me. So I guess we can edit all this part out. Yeah, I will. I will actually, I'll, uh, I'll pause it and then I'll. All right. So we'll, 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 we'll tap and then we'll do some like editing magic and it'll mm -hmm. sound seamless. <laughs> cool. um, I think what you were saying was that you're, you're, we're going to see a lot of um, consolidation within, within the field. Amazon took at MGM, maybe that there's some opportunity with Trade Desk. I mean, it's interesting because you brought up Trade Desk. Part of me wonders, is that something Google, you know, they have two years to get this done. Is, is mm -hmm. Google going to maybe acquire the Trade Desk? Um, is, you know, could that be a solution for them? It's an interesting one. I mean, I don't know what the uh, what the market cap today is of Trade Desk. Uh, I'm doubt I'm doubtful. Um, I'm doubtful of that because the Trade Desk seem to be very cause based. 
Um, and they talk a lot about the open internet and they talk a lot about not being anti-Google, um, but they talk a lot about what they're trying to do and what they're trying to build to keep the internet open for all. Um, and so I doubt that they would move down that path. I think that, you know, I think about, uh, I, I drew this relationship between, you know, Jeff Green, the CEO of Trade Desk and what Elon Musk did with Tesla. So Tesla has the open uh, the open patents on their electric cars. Yeah. And the reason for that is Elon Musk said, I want, you know, I care about the environment and I want everyone to be driving electric cars, right? Um, that's his belief. And so even though that creates competition and basically lets all the other companies use his technology or their technology, um, it's really the vision is, you know, uh, emission-free, uh, emission-free cars. And I think that Jeff Green's doing the same thing with the trade desk. I think when you look at the trade desk, Unified ID 2.0 is an open source. Okay. Anyone can use it, which means it really is the open internet. It really is. And yeah, from my understanding, and I may be wrong, this is you know, just from conversations, what the trade desk did was the IAB said, this is our design. We want to build Unified ID 2.0. And the trade desk said, we have the engineering team. We'll build it for you. And we'll, we'll go and build this and we'll open it up for everyone. And so it's really created that open internet, which I do think is where the trade desks stand stand out and stand their ground. Um, I, I say that with one breath, and the other breath is, you know, if if the price was right, I, I don't know. Um, so you yes. know, uh, Google have deep pockets, so so maybe. Um, but I do believe that five G is going to be a big different differentiator for Connect TV. I think that you know more consumers, more content is being consumed off of TV devices. Yeah, I, I can tell you, uh, I have TVs in my house. I watch almost everything on an iPad. And that's purely because, you know, if I'm walking around the house, I make dinner, I, you know, I carry, I don't have to pause, resume. I can just carry it with me, right? Um, so I think that's going to be a big differentiator. And I think out of the home. Um, and I think, you know, cord cutting has just increased. Right? It's just Every month, we see more and more people getting rid of their cable subscription and moving to these these apps, uh, and I think that really is going to make a difference. Um, but I, I think the final big thing that's going to be really interesting for Connect TV is the international is the international expansion. I think that when we think about you know, when we think in the US about you know, the market, the market's still very new and is growing fast. Like month over month, it's insane the type of growth that you see from Connect TV from an advertiser point of view. Um, international is typically, I mean, even like the UK, is typically a couple of years behind on the full adoption. Like VOD has been a thing for a long time, but the actual full adoption, I think that the next step is, I think international is going to be huge for connected TV devices or connected TV companies. Um, the biggest holdup is um, TV rights or, or rights over shows like, you know, uh, uh, you know, the office is on Peacock, but could, can they own that in the UK and Australia? It, right. you know, that's the only thing that's hold up. But yeah, I mean, if Amazon are buying MGM, you know, they're definitely thinking global, you know, Amazon doesn't think local. Is the idea, okay, so just to uh, jump into that a little bit. So the idea is that the publishers can more easily expand cross borders yeah. And, that, and that could be here to uh, to like the UK or like Sky Network into uh, exactly. You know what I mean? Like I think of F1 and I watch it on ESPN, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But I know that Sky, like they're broadcasting from Sky Network. And I was mm-hmm. just, I, I say to myself all the time, like, I wish we had Sky Network because that's where the, that's the better content's there. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's exactly what I think. I, I think that you're going to start, you're going to start seeing that. Um, and I think the ability of, you know, if you think about the dig- digital in general, it's gone from, you know, uh, economies that were very localized to global. You know, you look at Amazon, Amazon has a presence in most countries across the world. Um, and so as a result of that, you're seeing that level of growth. And if they're owning the content, then they get to own the distribution of that content. Um, and I think that's what you're going to start seeing. That's exciting, though. That, that presents really, really interesting. I think if you worked mm-hmm. at the ESPNs of the world, even the Disney's, the, the, the Fox, like that, that's a pretty cool opportunity. And I mm-hmm. think on the product marketing side, too, we've had a bunch of product marketers on the show. Not like nice. it's probably a lot of fun to try to figure out like how we're going to get over this, how we're we going across the pond, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think I can't see it not happening. Um, I, uh, I, there's too much content and it's too easy to distribute it to everyone. Uh, I think the biggest thing is going to be getting past the linear TV model, which is, you know, selling shows to each country. I think it's going to be more like selling a show to a network and it's going to be more global. That's what I would predict. Uh, but, I, but I often make fun of people who predict the future as, you know, really just guessing. So yeah. uh, let's put an asterisk next to that one. Yeah, it's fun to guess, Dan. We're not going to... Two years later, you pull this clip up. Oh, forget it. You're going to be really famous. I'm going to be like, yeah, well, he was on my show. And look what he did. <laughs> but Dan, thank you again for uh, coming on the show today. Um, I really enjoyed this. I, I think you gave us a great education on CTV. I think there's a lot of marketers, especially digital marketers that are going to want to just kind of jump into this. So it's exciting. And I, I kind of hope they see this as a, as a really valid way to, to gain more, not just awareness, but really what we're all concerned about. It's the impact, it's the conversion. So mm-hmm. it, it's really great stuff. No, I really appreciate you, you, you inviting me. I'm glad we could chat through Connect TV. I'm, I'm really excited about this as a channel. So um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it really is a thing that's going to be needle moving for advertisers, especially the smaller brands. I really think it's going to be, be a big, big opportunity for everyone. So thank you so much. No problem. It's here at the right time, I think, too. Um, mm-hmm. Where can people get in contact with you if they want to uh, reach out? Easy. Uh, LinkedIn, Dan Larkman. Um, and if you go to keensdigital.com, all of our information is on there where you can contact us, um, you know, info at keensdigital.com, any of those ways you can get hold of me. And I'd love to hear from anyone, any questions. So please fire them, fire them through. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much.